Итак, если у вас есть If you have your Bibles, please open up with me a familiar place of Scripture that contains the depth of the riches and knowledge and wisdom of God. Matthew 5:45 and 48. That you may be sons of your Father in heaven, for he makes the sun rise on the evil and on the good and sends rain on the just and on the unjust. Therefore, you shall be perfect just as your Father in heaven is perfect. The sermon that I would like to continue is called Called to Perfection. We know that this promised commandment is the inheritance of the saints of all generations, and this commandment of Christ is addressed specifically to his students. Therefore, people who do not acknowledge the power of the person sent by God over themselves have no part to this inheritance that is in this commandment and most likely will never be able to have it. Acknowledging the fatherhood of a person that God has placed is to refuse to rely upon your own mind and say such things as, I don't agree with this, I don't understand it like that. Imagine a student in school who's sitting at their desk. The teacher says, two plus two is four, and the student says, well, I don't agree with that. But God wants to see us as these kinds of students that would be able to ask questions if they don't understand, but to give alternative opinions that it should be like this and not like not like this doesn't mean you're a means you're not a student and people don't understand that when they say such things they are resisting God. And as we know, God resists the proud but gives grace to the humble. They don't even know that they are lacking God's grace. They sing about grace, they speak about grace, and they will receive uh, vengeance for this and destruction because they relied upon the grace that was not in their heart. How can you talk about grace if a person says, well, I don't agree with this. I don't think it should be this way. Imagine the multitude of Christians are going to hell saying, well, this is not possible, this cannot be. Specific people that used to be in our church would say, well, this can't be, they're no longer here. And I said, why can't it be that way? They say, well, because everyone else understands this way. And I said, no, uh, not everyone, just uh, certain people and others don't. They do prepare their heart. Others do prepare their heart and receive the truth, not to ask uh, questions in, for the purpose of inspecting but to learn as a student and ask the Lord to reveal to them today what he desires to tell them. They pray about this and may your anointed one be blessed by whom you can give this to me. No other way, for all the promises are in him, yes, and through him, amen, to the glory of God through us. Relevant to fulfilling, fulfilling this required commandment, we stop to study the purpose of the righteousness of God in the heart of man, specifically the goals that the righteousness of God abiding within our heart is called to pursue. And in part, we've been studying the purpose of the righteousness of God within our heart received by us in the two broken tablets, 
where we die by the law, for the law, to live for the one that died and resurrected, and by doing so receive confirmation of our salvation in the new tablets of the covenant, that is, in the New Testament, in the service of justification, in the format of the law of the Spirit of life, so that we provide God a basis not to give us the promise to be heirs of peace, not by the past law, but by the righteousness of faith, like he gave it to Abraham and his seed. If a person is in the service of condemnation, he's not able to make us heirs of peace. But by the righteousness of faith, like he gave it to Abraham and his seed. For the promise that he would be the heir of the world was not to Abraham or to his seed through the law, but through the righteousness of faith. Romans 4.13 Abraham lived far before the, the law and God accounted him righteousness that he believed in him. He believed that he will have many children and not looking at the fact that he was of, of great age and uh, Sarah also was of great age and was not able to bear and she was also barren and he trusted in God and believed and his faith was accompanied by his acts, his inner state. Although outwardly he was aging, inside he was younger and younger, becoming younger and younger. And every time he saw the stars, he saw his children in them. Every time he uh, looked down at the sand of the sea, he saw his children. When he saw Sarah, his wife, he saw in her the mother that would bear many kings that would come. He proclaimed that not existent as existent. And that is why God accounted to him, this to him as righteousness. Faith without works is dead. Faith it confesses. Faith speaks. I believe and that's why I spoke. That's what the scriptures say. Therefore, the promise of the peace of God, the righteousness of faith is determined by the obedience of our faith to the faith of God, which is presented in the preached word of God sent and the person who is a father from God to us, a person who has the seed of the word and is able to give. Therefore, the promise of the peace of God is given only to those men who are obedient to the order of God in accordance to which he sends us his words by the mouth of his delegated one. God's order is theocracy. When the structure, the Church of Christ is based upon the structure of, the, of theocracy and not a democratic format of the fallen, uh, of fallen Christianity. <clears throat> this democratic structure gives power uh, to people to say, well, I don't agree, to the people to say, I don't agree to this. In theocracy, people refuse their rights for the benefit of one person. They have him, but they reject him. They, they have their opinions, but they reject those opinions for the benefit of the one. If they don't reject their right, then they will not receive the revelations of God. When people refuse or reject their rights, to be uh, free uh, so they can be servants of Christ. Their liberty, uh, they understand that they're uh, free in Christ, but free me, to them means I say whatever I want. Liberty in Christ is to be a slave of righteousness. 
We have freedom to choose. We have the freedom to choose either to be a slave of righteousness or slave of sin. This is what we have a choice for. We don't have uh, any other uh, choice uh, but to choose to be slaves of righteousness or slaves of sin. And when we reject our own uh, and choose to be slaves of righteousness, we will no longer continue to choose. It's the same thing here. We refuse to speak for the benefit of the one who will speak uh, from God, who can speak into our heart. If we don't refuse, we will sit in the same church, we will listen to the same words, but we won't understand them. They will come into our mind, and we will be resisting it, because... We have refused the structure of theocracy. This is the body. As a body of a person, the body of Christ, there's the same functions, one head. The eyes don't dictate to the mind how to see. You know, the eyes see uh, based on what is uh, with the mind, specifically the mind, interprets what is seen. The eyes is just a tool uh, that the mind uses to see. Any doctor obviously will know that too. Therefore, the covenant of peace within the heart of man is the result of the obedience of his faith to the faith of God, which are the spoken words of God's delegated ones. It is by the means of the righteousness of faith, the covenant of peace presented in the inheritance of peace is called to abide and be within the heart of man, evidence of the fact that we are children of God. Therefore, the inheritance of peace abiding within the covenant of peace is the treasury of our hope in God, containing the bond of all of the promises of God. And to achieve these promises is the goal of the given to us righteousness. Righteousness is from faith. If a person says, I don't understand it this way, well, in this way he testifies that he is a hater of God. Can you imagine for yourself? They don't even comprehend that they are haters of God. A hater is Satan. Satan is, that's a hater, hater of God, one who hates God. And so the righteousness that we receive by faith, by the means of the covenant of peace, can is called to guard our hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God, and the peace of God which surpasses all understanding will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. Philippians 4, 6, 7. Here it's talking about information that leads your feelings. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. With thanksgiving is information about the fact that there is a response to all of our needs, and it's already upon our account. Yesterday I was speaking to one of our pastors, and he asked me a question. I have a sister in the church. 
he, he was saying she was taking antidepressants and then she stopped taking them. She, she started feeling better and then started getting worse again. And she hears the sermons and she says, I agree with everything. I proclaim everything that is said and it's becoming even worse for her. What do I do? I have no response to give to the sister. And I said, she is incorrectly listening. How is it that she proclaims everything? She is basing everything from what she feels. She uh, proclaims and then, because depression is uh, present or reveals itself in emotion. And and it's a carelessness, but it's also emotions. Information needs to do what? It needs to lead your emotions. She needs to not pay attention to this and do what is necessary to be done. And when she begins to not just speak, but do and not pay attention to those emotions, she changes this in herself. Depression will leave her. And he'll say, wow, he said, wow, now I understand, I need this. He didn't mean depression, but he understood the principle I proclaim, but I didn't understand this mechanism, this principle. But in every sermon I say, lead your emotions, do not base on what your emotions uh, say or feel. A person proclaims and then waits. Does he feel better or not inside? Never, it will never become better. It will become worse. You're not looking at the right place. You need to look at who God is for you, what he's done for you, and who you are to him, and proclaim these things and not pay attention to your emotions. Because emotions, they can... Uh, easily uh, start uh, falling or feeling worse uh, due to bad information received, bad news that may have come, the weather changes. But when you don't depend on your feelings, your emotions, they won't be uh, tumbling or shaking this way. And as soon as it does, you just whip it as a horse and put it into place. A good horse, one that is well-restrained, well-disciplined, he himself waits. You won't even need to whip him. He'll need uh, the command of the, of the master or the owner, and he understands. Uh, he's waiting from the owner uh, where, what to do or where to go and bring yourself to such a position that your feelings wait for your commands not they lead you but you lead them this is what needs to happen and all depressions will disappear the peace of God that is able to guard our minds in Christ Jesus is the mind that is renewed by the spirit of our mind which is the mind of Christ in our spirit called to lead our emotional aspect. For to be carnally minded is death, but to be spiritually minded is life and peace, because the carnal mind is enmity against God, for it is not subject to the law of God, nor indeed can be. So then those who are in the flesh cannot please God. Romans 8, 6 through 8. Carnal, uh, the carnal mind is when the desires come from the flesh. You need to determine where the desires coming from to evangelize, to preach, to sing, to 
uh, speak poems, to pray, to fast, uh, where are these desires coming from? Because these desires can come either from God or from the spirit of deception. As soon as you receive this desire, it can't be that the spirit of deception, you just determine that it can't be that the spirit of deception is prompting me to this service. Uh, of course it can. It can. Satan prompted David, uh, we spoke about the census in the previous service, and Satan uh, prompted David to perform the census, and census is a form of sanctification, and it was always prompted by God, always God spoke uh, through a prophet to sanctify herself, to perform a census, but this time God did not tell him to, he told them that he will give them the eternal throne and the throne will be over the whole earth. And then the thought, the devil brought this thought, if it's over the whole earth, then you need to prepare uh, to battle to take over the world. And for this reason, as you know, you need to perform a census because before uh, a war, a census happened because if the people go to war without being sanctified, they will be destroyed. You needed to first sanctify yourself. And, of course, uh, the satanic encounter does not lead people to sanctification. It is what Satan did. He prompted the people, inspired the people, and, and when he inspires people, uh, this uh, census, this sanctification will not be according to scripture. You can't sanctify yourself within the span of three days. It is a continual process as we live in this mortal body. Only when we receive the heavenly body, we will not have the need to uh, protect ourselves from certain things. We will uh, be safe and nothing will be able to uh, come near to us. Hell will be afraid. People will be afraid of you. Demons will not come near you because your body will become heavenly. According to this given place, we conclude that people that refuse the condition where the truth of the preached word and the power of the Holy Spirit renews their mind by the spirit of their mind have no part, and this happens by sanctification, have no part to the peace of God and are not able to have it. Sanctification is always accompanied by uh, much revelations. God will always reveal in this time what to do, how to do it, and reveal in the heart of a person what is in his way. Because to, for one person, one thing will be in his way. For another person, it will be something very different that will be in his way. And he doesn't even know about this, uh, that it's in the way, God, in God's way. It's not in his way specifically, but God's, it's in God's way. At one time, God told me, this is in my way. And I said, but it's not in my way. I said, and he said, well, I don't mean you, I mean me. It's in my way. And then I understood who I'm speaking to. I'm speaking with the Holy Spirit. He's telling me that this is in his way, and I tell him, but it's not in my way, I tell him. And at this time, I was uh, pretty much doing night prayers for myself. And it was a, a, a fast when you don't allow yourself to sleep and you pray the night. This you don't allow yourself to eat, but this you don't allow yourself to sleep. 
And so I did an entire night of prayer. And so to be vigilant, I, I read, I prayed, I walked, and I drank a strong tea and added uh, into the strong tea some Italian rum. I would add a little bit. It was about uh, 25 degrees, uh, and it was, and, and I would add it to the tea. And I considered in myself that a little bit is not sin. I'm not over-drinking, I'm not becoming drunk, uh, and it's not a sin. And at this time I said, Lord, what is in your way to communicate with me? I felt, I sensed like something was wrong, and I heard a voice in me. I was holding the cup in my hand. And he said, this is in my way. And I said really quickly, this is not in my way. And he absolutely did not get upset. But as to a child, I didn't tell you that it's in your way. It's in my way to to be able to communicate with you. And when he said this, I... I uh, pretty much, it was alarmed inside of myself. Show me according to scripture that this is in your way, as it is written, do not become drunk with wine, it says, but I'm not becoming drunk with wine. There's uh, maybe 25 grams of it, and, and it's not too... Uh, and so you won't be able to really feel anything. But it did give a little bit of an effect. It did have a little bit of an effect, um, a pleasant effect on the, on, on the mind. And, I, <clears throat> and then the Holy Spirit said, read. Again, and I said, why do I need to read it? I know it by heart. Okay, repeat it then, which you know by heart, so I can hear it. And in my mind, I do not become drunk with wine, from which is dissipation. That part where it says, from which is dissipation, I didn't pay attention to it. I just began to uh, think about the do not be drunk with wine. Then I uh, said, Lord, you needed to write it a little bit more clearly as do not drink wine because there will be dissipation. And then I told, then I, he told me, take me, take the dictionary and look it up. And I find the word to be drunk, to drink, to, to satisfy yourself with, when you satisfy yourself with any kind of thing. And so this word means to satisfy yourself with it in any amount. And so do not drink, do, be, do not be drunk is do not take it in, do not satisfy yourself with it, and also do not drink much, and there's also do not drink it. And then I, I poured all this out and said, Lord, forgive me, I didn't know. I just did not know. I will never, ever do this again. And what else may be in your way? At this time, music was playing. Those psalms that were being sung, uh, brothers sent me from a different uh, city, 
Они прислали they, современная христианская музыка на Западе. Uh, sovereign uh, Christian music. And they sang these songs, but in the genre of a rock genre, the same kind of songs that we sung, where there are songs where, you know, Jesus had the crown of thorns and all these things. And I listened to that. And he said, I don't like this either. And then I understood. I didn't say why. And I said, Lord, I didn't think about it. Yes, because it's not from my wellspring. This is not from my wellspring. These were of tapes at this time, the little uh, tapes. And so I pretty much reversed it or turned it on so that it erases this recording. And then I began to, again, communicate with the Lord. From then on, I began to receive those very clear revelations. For another person, it could be something else, maybe some kind of offense in the heart, somewhere deep inside uh, against their mother, father, wife, uh, pastor, or anyone else, your your, your, uh, manager at work, or for another person, it's uh, not the ability to restrain themselves or jealousy, and the Lord will reveal these things when a person truly wants to sanctify themselves, and you say, Lord, I want to sanctify myself, reveal to me what is in your way, what do I have that is in your way that interferes, and he will reveal to you, my daughter, it's in my way that you want to go to the casino and waste all your money, that you want to play games so that you can win things. I am not a gamer. Take my example. Money is earned. That's when it's valued. When it's won, it is not valued. But God wants us to value because there is our energy. And so people that do not have peace in their heart and that are not renewed in their mind have no part to the sons of peace and are not able to inherit then the kingdom of heaven. We need to apprehend well that only collaborating our spirit with our renewed mind that is in Christ Jesus we are called to enthrone the resurrection of Christ in our body and clothe our body into the resurrection of Christ. Relevant to this, we stop to look at the fourth question, by what signs do we examine ourselves? That we are the sons of peace and are also the sons of God. Because it is only by the rule of the peace of God that is within our heart that we are able to examine ourselves that we are truly the sons of God, as it is written, blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God, Matthew 5, 9. It's not possible to perform peace if it's not inside. You will prompt pe uh, people to be at peace, but you won't have peace with God. A person sometimes doesn't even know he doesn't have peace with God. Why? Because he doesn't have a close relationship with God. Only when you begin to sanctify yourself, be get nearer to God, draw near to me and I will draw near to you, says the Lord. Sanctify yourself. And when a person begins to sanctify himself, he draws near to God, then God reveals himself. 
And only then, peace with God happens when you distance those things, remove those things that are in his way. If a person has not died for his nation, for the house of his father, and for his fleshly life, then he will not be able to receive the ability to be clothed into the inheritance of peace in order to bear within his righteousness fruits of peace, which is why the crown of righteousness of such people will be taken from them, giving them the right to the promise of peace where they would be able to be called sons of God. Behold, I am coming quickly. Hold fast what you have that no one may take your crown. Revelations 3.11. We need to remember that the promise of the peace of God obtained its power and its legitimacy within our heart only by the righteousness of our faith in the covenant of peace, which portions responsibility upon both sides of the covenant, where each side then is responsible to fulfill their role that is implemented by God. God implements his roles for himself and for the person that is written in his word, and a person needs to become a a slave of this role. And if one of the sides breaks the agreement that is made in the covenant of peace with God and man, and such a violator, one that breaks this, can only be a man, then the other participant of the covenant, being God, is free from the responsibility of fulfilling his part of the agreement made in the covenant of peace. The fruit of righteousness is identified within our heart as the peace of God, and this is fruit of righteousness is evidence that we are the sons of peace and this serves as legitimate basis for God to fill, uh, fulfill his part of the covenant and lead us into the inheritance of his son so that we could share with him the achievement of all that is written about him in the laws, prophets, and psalms. Because justification that we have received by right of our birth from the seed of the word of truth has changed into the quality and format of righteousness where we receive the ability to bear fruits of peace within our relationship with God and with those around us. Pursue peace with all people and holiness without which no one will see the Lord. Hebrews 12, 14 will not see the Lord. That means they will not have salvation. To see the Lord is is to be saved. We note that in the given situation, this place is referring to a unique and unearthly peace that is to be done by God only within the boundaries of holiness or be an expression and demonstration of holiness whose boundaries are the commandments of God containing the righteousness of God. If it is possible, as much as depends on you, live peaceably with all men, Romans 12:18. It's not possible to have peace with all men, according to Scripture. Therefore, peace that we dare to or have the audacity to demonstrate using the ideas of our own mind out of the boundaries of holiness and not as a demonstration of holiness will be incriminated as a heavy form of lawlessness for which we will need to pay a price then of, it, of eternal life. Because our fellowship or communication with people that the Scripture ascribe to corrupt company. A person says, well, there's nothing wrong. I don't say anything wrong. Yes, a person left church, but the scriptures say uh, there's no longer remains a sacrifice for sin. That is what the problem is. That's, uh, it can't be that a person do whatever he wants, went here, went here, went here. Uh, imagine the body of Christ. Suddenly, your liver decides to go into a different body. 
or your eyes have decided to move to a different body, how would that be? But here people don't understand. Well, what? It, it is that only that you have, you have God? I say no. God is where his order is. And where his order is not, there is no God. People think that he's there, but the scriptures say he's not there. The Holy Spirit will not abide there where there's no elementary uh, teaching of Christ in the heart. They think that he abides, you have to understand, he abides in the heart and the place becomes holy because we have sanctified ourselves. And so when we leave, the atmosphere remains in this place. The Holy Spirit does not abandon it, but remains. Being omnipresent, he goes with us, but this place also is with him. And every time when God reveals himself by, uh, through someone or in someone, then the place where this person stands also becomes holy. It is sanctified because of the person. God has spoken with Moses and said, the place upon which you stand is holy, holy ground. He spoke with John, uh, uh, Joshua, the place where you stand is holy ground. Remove your uh, sandals from your feet. Sandals is the that you're prepared to uh, preach the gospel to the world, a light to the world. Having put uh, shod your feet, having uh, put on your sandals. Why does God say remove your sandals? Because you can't be a light for God. At the time when you're having a relationship communication with God, you take off your sandals because you don't need to evangelize. You need, you need to communicate with God at this time. And so, your relationship with God is more important than evangelism. Remove the sandals from your feet for the place upon which you stand is holy ground. We need to understand those things. The peace that we dare to have or have the audacity to have or to demonstrate using the ideas of our own mind out of the boundaries of holiness and out of not as a demonstration of holiness will be incriminated as a heavy form of lawlessness for which we will need to pay the price for losing eternal life. Because our fellowship or communication with people that the scriptures ascribe to corrupt company will perverse or corrupt our good habits and will transform us into the wicked image. Do not be deceived, you will company corrupt good habits. Habits. First Corinthians 15, 33 and 34, awake to righteousness and do not sin, for some do not have the knowledge of God. I speak this to your shame. In another place, Apostle Paul writes that evil company is not the world. He says, I am not speaking to you uh, not to communicate with any fornicator or any sinner, but one, that, that drunkard that calls himself a brother but remains in their sins and legalizes them. Otherwise, you would have to come out from the world. When we communicate with a person of the world, a sinner, he can't defile you because he is not a part of the body of Christ. But this person, a brother or sister, is a part of the body of Christ. And so here it says, it talks about evil company that corrupt good habits, about people that were previously holy, but then legalized sin had decided that uh, 
Drinking is not a sin. When lawless men who have left, who had left us, the first thing they said for themselves, it turns out that Pastor Arkady had forbid us from drinking, and this is actually okay, and we can. And so they call then these curses as blessing. They call white black, black white, and so forth and so forth. It is impossible and criminal to have peace with the wicked and the lawless that support the wicked, who in their time had received the truth but afterwards abandoned their church and turned away from the given to them holy commandments, as the very fact of their rebellion and their hatred of the word given by God's delegated ones that are placed over them testify of the fact that they have lost the peace of God in their heart and member them to the category of the wicked. But the wicked are like the troubled sea when it cannot rest, whose waters cast up mire and dirt. There is no peace, says my God, for the wicked. Isaiah 57, 20 through 21. This very place is also written in the 49th chapter. In a specific format, we've already stu uh, studied and looked at six signs by which we need to determine and examine ourselves as to whether we are the sons of peace as well as the sons of God and have been studying the seventh sign. And this is our ability to clothe our essence into the holy and selective love of God. But above all these things, put on love, which is the bond of perfection, and let the peace of God rule in your hearts, to which you were also called in one body, and be thankful. Colossians 3:14-15. We've noted that according to this place of Scripture, the reign of the peace of God within our heart is possible only upon one condition, and, and that is if the selective love of God the holy love of God will abide within our heart, and if we will be clothed into the selective love of God, when we say holy, then people who proclaim, uh, speak of proclaim uh, tolerant love, they don't understand what holy means, but selective they do understand. A holy love is a selective love. It loves those who love him. He hates those who hate him. He selects. Those, there are uh, many who are called, few are chosen. For in the selective love of God, which is the goodness of God, we see the good, wonderful, eternal, and uncomprehending for the human mind, goals and works of God called to build a unique and peaceful relationship between God and his children with the students or disciples. Comprehending the selective love of God is called to fill us with the fullness of the peace of God or make us perfect as our Heavenly Father is perfect. And we know that the selective love of God is presented by the Holy Spirit in Scripture in seven unchanging virtues or elements by the preached word of the apostles and prophets. And these are components of one fruit. Virtue, knowledge, self-control, perseverance, godliness, brotherly kindness, and love. 2 Peter 1, 2 through 8. Each of the seven qualities of the fruits of virtue are contain the characteristics of all the others. As they come one from the other, complete one the other, strengthen one the other, and confirm the truthful nature of one the other. Second, these qualities are called to be the moral perfection within our heart and an example inherent to the essence of God. Third, the given qualities are the great and precious promises entrusted to us through Jesus Christ and in Jesus Christ. <clears throat> Fourth, the given qualities are the imperishable treasure and unsearchable wealth of Christ with which we need to become rich. Fifth, in order to receive the inheritance of these qualities, these seven unchanging qualities, it is necessary for us to receive 
the power of the Holy Spirit, not separately the power, but the Holy Spirit. <clears throat> Six, the means that we are to use to receive the power of the Holy Spirit as the Lord and Master of our life is the obedience of our faith to the faith of God, which will allow the Holy Spirit to then enter as our Master. By inheriting these great and precious promises in the form of the fruits of our spirit, we become a part of God's divine nature. Since virtue and the selective love of God demonstrated in the seven unchanging qualities and characteristics have nothing in common with and cannot have anything in common with the nature of human love that is filled with egoism, greed, and is just temporary. Therefore, specifically, the fruits of the selective love of God containing the format of the seven unchanging qualities listed previously, the fruits are called to enthrone the resurrection of Christ in our body and clothe their body into the resurrection of Christ as our new person. The element of virtue in the selective love of God has no comparison to the tolerant love of man, since the quality of the selective love of God are eternally existing qualities. These qualities are the qualities of our Heavenly Father and His all-consuming holiness and all that comes from God. Because God is love, or more accurately, he is a holy love, separated from all that man calls love. And such an inaccessible for our mind transcendent love of God is identified in Scripture as the bond of all perfection, which indicates the fact that the selective love of God is placed by God first over the rest of his perfections, identified as his goodness. But above all these things, put on love, which is the bond of perfections, Colossians 3.14. The measure of the love of God is identified by and is known by the measure of God's hatred toward evil and men who do this evil, carriers of wickedness and lawlessness. Only loving what God loves and hating what God hates, we are able to demonstrate God's perfection in his reaction toward good and evil. The love of God is the foundation and atmosphere of the moral and immovable law opening within our hearts the essence of God and the essence of the heavenly kingdom. And this is not all. The love of God agape is a sovereign love which is unconditional when it comes to the people it chooses in its abilities to foreknow and predestine. Because of its sovereignty, the selective love of God never violates the sovereign rights of those people she selects and never allows her own sovereign rights within her boundaries to be violated, these boundaries identified as his burning holiness. In a specific format, these seven characteristics that together identify within our heart the goodness of God in the perfection of a selective love, we already looked at six qualities, therefore will immediately turn our attention to the seventh. This is demonstrating the love of God, agape, and brotherly kindness. In Scripture, the love of God, agape, is the virtue of God coming from brotherly kindness and is contrary to evil. That comes from hatred of the fallen angels and men that are within the power of these fallen spirits. Therefore, in the Holy Scriptures, the degree of the power of the selective love of God, which comes from brotherly kindness and reveals itself in brotherly kindness, is determined and, and is exclusively known by the degree of the power of the hatred of God toward evil and evildoers who do this evil. You have loved righteousness and hated lawlessness, therefore God, your God, has anointed you with the oil of gladness more than your companions. Hebrews 1.9 
It's also written in the book of Psalms. Considering that evil demonstrating itself in man in hatred that comes from jealousy and arrogance of man and good that demonstrates itself in man in love that comes from brotherly kindness are programs. Therefore, to love righteousness and hate lawlessness is only possible in its carriers, which are their programmable systems. As it is written, the Lord tests the righteous, but the wicked and the one who loves violence his soul hates. Upon the wicked he will rain coals, fire and brimstone, and a burning wind shall be the portion of their cup. For the Lord is righteous, he loves righteousness, his countenance beholds the upright. Psalm 11, 5-7. Relevant to this as the previous elements, the virtue of God and his unique for us goodness, which we are called to demonstrate in our faith in seven elements, we need to answer four classical questions. First, what do the scriptures say about the genesis and natural essence of the fruits of virtue that reveals itself in the heart of man? What purpose does the fruit of virtue have demonstrated in our faith in the love of God agape that comes from brotherly kindness? What conditions do we need to fulfill in order to demonstrate the fruit of virtue in the love of God agape in our faith coming from brotherly kindness? And by what signs do we need to examine ourselves that we are demonstrating the fruits of virtue in the love of God agape that comes from brotherly kindness. Answering the first question, we came to the conclusion that the love of God has been poured out into our heart by the Holy Spirit who was given to us, Romans 5.5. And in order for this to happen, you need to have a pure heart. Uh, he, it cannot be poured out into the hearts of carnal men or because they are not led by the Holy Spirit but are led by various winds of doctrine being uh, spoken by various people. They don't have one person, a, f a person who's a father, that they can acknowledge uh, and follow. Relevant to this, we've noted three elements that are called to participate in the pour-out of the love of God in our heart. First element, the love of God can be poured out into our heart if our heart will be cleansed from dead works, which makes our heart capable and open to receive the love of God. Second element, the love of God can be poured out into our heart if our heart will be open to receive the Holy Spirit in the status of the Lord and Master of our life. Third element, the love of God can be poured out into our heart, not in the form of feelings, but in the preached to us word of grace. The, word, the words that are then turned into confessions. Again, this is information, not feelings. The words that are then turned into confessions of the faith of God that are called to lead our feelings so we can demonstrate the love of God as a good writer leads his horse with bits. You are fairer than the sons of men. Grace is poured upon your lips. Therefore, God has blessed you forever. Psalm 45.2. The love of God is poured out by the preached word. According to the three above listed elements, we conclude that the heart of carnal men that in all churches make up the majority are not able to be a place for the, for the pour out of the love of God that comes from the atmosphere of brotherly kindness. In Hebrew, the word grace is linked to inheritance and comes from the words to provide for, to take care of, and to prepare for, which indicates that God, by the means of his grace, which is based upon the greatness of the new covenant that is made with a new person, has provided for, taken care of, and prepared for man the inheritance in the form of a full measure of salvation or an absolute salvation from which we conclude that a heart that does not have a seal of righteousness that identifies the mutual bond of the covenant between God and man 
the seal upon a ready document of righteousness, the, lo the love of God that demonstrates itself in the law of grace does not have its legit field. The power of the love of God agape that is contained in the law of grace and is poured out into our heart by the Holy Spirit obtains its legitimacy and its legal power within our heart within the boundaries of these elements. First, in a mutual covenant with God that is made in the baptisms in which we collaborate with the truth of the Word of God and the Holy Spirit, we cleanse our conscience from dead works and by the means of the confessions of the faith of our heart have submerged ourselves into the death of Christ. He who believes and is baptized will be saved, but he who does not believe will be condemned. Mark 16, 16. Second, the power of the love of God contained in the law of the grace of God obtains its legal status and its power in eating of the communion of the Lord, where the new covenant receives its power and its effectiveness. Likewise, he also took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is shed for you. Luke 22, 20. Third, to make a covenant with God according to the conditions of the law of grace is not something a person can do where he wants to, how he wants to, or when he wants to, but only when he finds a good wife whose husband is known at the gate. He who finds a wife finds a good thing and obtains favor from the Lord. Proverbs 18.22 he received into his heart love in the grace of God. Therefore, to understand inside of yourself the natural essence of the love of God that comes from brotherly kindness, it was necessary for us to remember what and who God loves and what and who God hates. In a specific format, we already studied three components of who and what God loves. Therefore, we'll immediately pay attention to the fourth component. The Lord loves his nature, which is in his hand. He loves the people, all his saints are in his hand. They sit down at his feet, everyone receives your word. Deuteronomy 33, 3. To be holy is to present your body a living sacrifice, wholly acceptable to God for our reasonable service. And we know this. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. And do not be conformed to this world, but to be transformed by the renewing of your mind, and that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Romans 12, 1, 2. According to the given place of Scripture, I will remind us of one indisputable and unquestionable truth. A person that belongs to the category of clean animals is not always holy. In Scripture, what is called holy is only the one that is uh, clean. And so before... Uh, bringing a pure animal as a burnt offering, it is carefully selected from the flock of animals and needs to be in accordance to the conditions of a burnt offering. But it is not that the word of God has taken no effect, for they are not all Israel who are of Israel, nor are they all children because they are the seed of Abraham. But in Isaac your seed shall be called. That is, those who are the children of the flesh, these are not the children of God, but the children of the promise, are counted as the seed, Romans 9, 6 through 8. Here we conclude that saints 
is a small part of the chosen that by being instructed in the faith have subjected themselves to a total sanctification for the purpose of total dedication of themselves to God, a living sacrifice holy, acceptable to God for our reasonable service. For I say to you that none of those men who were invited shall taste my supper, for many are called but few are chosen, Luke 14, 24. <coughs> in all times in the congregation of the nation of Israel as well as the church of churches of Christian people, the one that is holy is the chosen by God remnant. At the same time, the category of the called in its majority are people that prepare themselves for destruction. The chosen are different from the called in that they sit or fall down at the feet of God in order to receive his words. The feet of God are the feet of the saints that are clothed by the Holy Spirit as fathers of God so that they can preach the gospel of the kingdom. Therefore, to fall down at the feet of, at the feet of God is by being instructed in the faith, prepare your heart more to listen rather than to give sacrifice. <coughs> Blessed are the feet of the one that preaches the gospel. <coughs> to prepare your heart to listen to the preached word is to fall down at the feet or to sit at the feet of God in order to call upon God. For whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. How then shall they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how shall they believe in him of whom they have not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher? And how shall they preach unless they are sent? If he is uh, voted for, say, by the majority vote. <clears throat> they always told me the voice of the nation is the voice of God. But no, the nation of... Uh, uh, the voice of the nation has never been uh, the voice of God. The voice of the nation had crucified Christ. As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the gospel of peace, who bring glad tidings of good things, but they have not all obeyed the gospel. Not any, everyone has sat at the feet of these people, for Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed our report? So then faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Romans uh, 10, 13 through 17. According to the above written place, we conclude that a person does, who has not acknowledged over himself the authority of the person that is clothed into the authority of a father from God, then he falls down or sits down not at the feet of God, but at his own feet or feet of those like him who are haters of God. Fifth, in nature, the selective love of God that flows from the virtue of God in the atmosphere of which the peace of God reigns within the boundaries of the brotherly kindness loves the gates of Zion. His foundation is in the holy mountain. The Lord loves the gates of Zion more than all the dwellings of Jacob, Psalm 87, 1, 2, so that we also, having our heavenly Father, as an example, love the gates of Zion as he loves them. We need to clarify what or who we need to consider or regard as Zion. We need to clarify upon what mountains does the foundation of Zion lie. How do we understand the gates of Zion that God loves more than all the dwellings of Jacob and what conditions we need to fulfill in order to love the gates of Zion as God loves them? Answering the first question, we need to clarify what or who we need to consider or regard as Zion. We need to immediately note that although the symbol of Mount Zion has a specific purpose, this is an artistic and multi-part symbol. For example, in scripture, Zion is called the Holy Mountain, Salem, Jerusalem, the City of David, the Daughter of Zion, the Daughter of Armies, and many other also. However, in Hebrew, Zion means a famous or well-known stronghold that belongs to the Jebusites and that existed until Abraham came 
to the land of Canaan. The Jebusites are descendants of Canaan, Noah's grandson, who were very brave and bold in war. Before the overtaking of Canaan, the Jebusites, together with the Amorites, Hittites, Gergesites, had also inhabited Mount Zion. When David took over the stronghold of Zion and called it the city of David, making it, making it his residency, he did not defend the city from the root dwellers. As a result, David purchased a threshing floor from one of them by the name of Orna, and in the place according to the command of God, he built. they built the temple. The essence of the fame and knowledge of the stronghold Zion built upon the mountain Zion consisted in that the stronghold was the city of Salem, or Jerusalem, that in the days of Abraham was ruled by the king Melchizedek, the priest of the living God. Specifically in historical significance, we see the importance of the symbol of the famous and well-known stronghold of Zion, that was later called the city of David and the daughter of Zion. Therefore, the symbol of Zion reveals the mystery of the body of Christ and the mystery of the significance of the body of every person that has or is a part of the body of Christ. This is a symbol of the body of Christ, the church, and a symbol of our mortal body as well, because it was built by the Jebusites and inhabited by the Jebusites. And when David took over, the Jebusites continued to live in the city. And the, this Mount Zion, and he respected them. We see when we, he, he came to Orna. What does my Lord King need? He asked. I want you to sell me your threshing floor. And he said, my king, take it freely. And he said, no, I won't take it freely. Uh, and he, he was wanting to give him everything free. And David said, no, I will pay for it. And he paid for it. In other words, the symbol of Zion that once belonged to the Jebusites and then became a city of David, we can see as the mortal body of a person that is redeemed by God, by the blood of the Son of God, that is poured out upon the Golgotha cross, where the stronghold of life was erected. When we're talking about the fame of Zion, we need to keep in mind that, uh, uh, that this is the chosen by God remnant who have received the promise of the adoption of their body by the redemption of Christ that had made them a light for the world as it is written, how beautiful are the feet in sandals, O Prince O Prince's Daughter, Songs of Solomon 7.1, the feet that have sandals making this uh, the most beautiful of women, specifically the sandals make the feet beautiful and wonderful upon the Zion mountain. How beautiful upon the mountains are the feet of him who brings good news, who proclaims peace, who brings glad tidings of good things, who proclaims salvation, who says to Zion, your God reigns, Isaiah 52, 7. Looking at these things, Apostle Paul also writes, Stand therefore, having girded your waist with truth, having put on the breastplate of righteousness, and having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace, Ephesians 6, 14, 15. Until the redeemed by God person does not receive into the good soil of his heart the seed of promise about the adoption of his body by the redemption of Christ, so that it could abide in him, he will not be able to be a partaker of Zion and will not be able to 
represent the interests of the light of life, because the light of life that he received in the format of a guarantee, according to scripture, is within his entrails darkness. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void, and darkness was on the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. Then God said, let there be light, and there was light, and God saw the light, that it was good, and God divided the light from the darkness. <coughs> God called the light day, and the darkness he called night, so the evening and the morning were the first day. Light that uh, brought forth life uh, to the mineral world. The symbol of the first day in which God created uh, light, the earth did not have on its feet sandals. Sandals upon the feet are only seen in the fourth day, where he saw the heavenly host, the two great lights and the stars, the redeemed by God person from the seed of the word of truth, born from the seed of the word of truth, it does not yet have the power of, uh, of light or the delegation of light and cannot be a light or Zion. The lamp of the body is the eye. If therefore your eye is good, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If therefore the light that is in you is darkness, how great is that darkness? No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will be loyal to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. According to the words of Christ, identifying whether a person is a part of Zion is something that can be done uh, when you see his behavior toward materialistic goods. When a person begins to choose God's faith that is richer and greater for him than anything else, and he prefers it over everything else then in him he'll have these great two lights and the stars, the moon and the sun and the stars, so that by them, with them, he can control his body. Second question, we need to clarify upon what mountains does the foundation of Zion lie. Zion, in scripture, is the chosen by God remnant. The foundation upon the holy mountains are the precious promises. That is the unsearchable inheritance of Christ that makes us a part of God's divine nature. This is the foundation of Zion upon the precious promises of God. And these precious promises of God are in the heart of a person. As the 12 foundations of the elementary teaching of Christ, which are the foundation of our faith as well as the building material we use so we could build ourselves into a holy house, a holy priesthood. As his divine power has given to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us by glory and virtue by which have been given to us exceedingly great and precious promises that through these you may be a partaker of the divine nature having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust but also for this very reason giving all diligence add to your faith virtue to virtue knowledge to knowledge self-control to self-control perseverance to perseverance godliness to godliness brotherly kindness, to brotherly kindness, love. For if these things are yours and abound and will be neither, you will be neither barren or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. For he who lacks these things is short-sighted even to blindness and has forgotten that he was cleansed from his old sins. Therefore, brethren, be even more diligent to make your call and election sure 
For if you do these things, you will never stumble. For so an entrance will be supplied to you abundantly into the everlasting kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. 2 Peter 1, 3 through 11. Uh, free entry into the, uh, an entrance supplied is the legal right to the process to be a part of Zion and fulfilling the condition that opens to us access into the kingdom of heaven and our Savior Jesus Christ is presented in uh, demonstrating in your faith the seven virtues uh, that have become uh, the subject we've been studying. The seven given to us virtues contain the uh, precious, great and precious promises that contain, or con yeah, they contain our chosen uh, our, our us being chosen and selected by Christ. If our heart contains in itself uh, the seven given to us virtues, then we will continue to be successful. Third question, how do we understand the gates of Zion that God loves more than all of the dwellings of Jacob? The gates of Zion in the body of man is the throne of David in the form of his pure mouth that confesses the faith of God that abides in his good and wise heart. A man's stomach shall be satisfied from the fruits of his mouth, from the produce of his lips he shall be filled. Death and life are in the power of the tongue, and these who love it will eat its fruit. Proverbs 18, 20 through 21. We've noted that our words that confess the faith of God that abides in our heart in power and its uh, impact are equal to those that, uh, that words that come out of the mouth of God. I have put my words in your mouth. I have covered you with the shadow of my hand, that I may plant the heavens, lay the foundation of the earth, and say to Zion, you are my people, Isaiah 51, 16. To love the gates of Zion more than all of the inhabitants of Jacob, as God loves them, means to love the fruits of your mouth that confesses the faith of God that abides within your heart. And the roof of your mouth, like the it's like the best wine. The wine does not uh, goes down smoothly for my beloved, moving gently with the lips of sleepers. Songs of Solomon 7, 9. Fourth, what conditions do we need to fulfill in order to love the gates of Zion as God loves them? First, in order for God to be able to put his words in our mouth so that they can be in accordance to the gates of Zion, it is necessary for us to be students of our Father. This will allow us to attend to his wisdom and incline our ears to his understanding so we can keep or regard uh, knowledge. My son, pay attention to my wisdom, lend your ear to my understanding, that you may preserve discretion and your lips may keep knowledge. Proverbs 5, 1, 2. Second, in order for God to be able to put in his words into our mouth so that they be, according, be in accordance to the gates of Zion, it is necessary for us to make a covenant of blood, peace, and salt in the baptism of water, spirit, and fire. The Redeemer will come to Zion and to those who turn from transgressions in Jacob, says the Lord. As for me, says the Lord, this is my covenant with you. My spirit who is upon you and my words which I have put in your mouth shall not depart from your mouth nor from the mouth of your descendants, nor from the mouth of your descendants' descendants, says the Lord, from the time, from this time and forevermore. Isaiah 59, 20, 21. For God to be able to put his words in our mouth so they be in accordance to the gates of Zion, it is necessary for us to open our mouth 
<clears throat> for the speechless and do this for judge, uh, justice. Proverbs 31, 8, 9. Open your mouth for the speechless and the cause of all who are appointed to die. Open your mouth, judge righteously, and plead the cause of the poor and needy. Proverbs 31, 8, 9. So God can put his words in our mouth so they be in accordance to the gates of Zion, which he has loved uh, more than all the inhabitants of Jacob. It is necessary for us to allow God to sanctify us, uh, sanctify us to be a light, a light for the world. <clears throat> Jeremiah 1, 4 through 10, Then the word of the Lord came to me, saying, Behold, I formed you in the womb, I knew uh, Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before you were born, I sanctified you. I ordained you a prophet to the, to the nations. Then I said, I, O Lord, Behold, I cannot speak, for I am youth. But the Lord said to me, Do not say, I am a youth, for you shall go to all to whom I send you, and wherever I command you, you shall speak. Do not be afraid of their faces, for I am with you to deliver you, says the Lord. Then the Lord put forth his hand and touched my mouth, and the Lord said to me, Behold, I have put my words in your mouth. See, I have put... I have this day sent you over the nations and over the kingdoms to root out and to pull down, to destroy and to throw down, to build and to plant. Jeremiah 1, 4 through 10, specifically uh, <coughs> committing your mouth to uh, do the work of God, to root out, to pull down, to destroy and to throw down, to build and to plant, you'll be able to demonstrate the proper love uh, to the gates of Zion as the Lord demonstrates. Let us bend our knees and pray. I call everybody, all the saints that may have offense in their heart against someone who are bound by some kind of sin that have maybe fear <clears throat> to come here so that God would be able to deliver you from it, to cleanse you, to prepare your heart and yourselves to take of take part in the communion of the Lord. Let us pray.
I'm going to be praying your prayer, and I ask you to deeply believe that God is for you. He's not against you. He, in the blink of an eye, can cleanse you, can cast your pain, your shame, your sins uh, behind his back and into hell, and never, ever remember them again. Close your eyes. This is your secret room. Lift your hands to God. This is a sign that your hands are without wrath or doubt heavenly father in the name of jesus christ i come to you you see my heart you see my wound that is inflicted by sin i hate the webs of sin i hate corrupt desires i hate bitterness that eats at my heart i forgive those who have offended me according to your word so that you can forgive me. And right now, before heaven and hell, I want to proclaim that in accordance to your words, I am washed, I am cleansed, I am healed, I am restored, I am justified, and I am saved. The Lord is blessed. You may take your seats. The Lord has released your sins, has cast them into hell, and He is vigilant over His word that it be fulfilled. And it's not what you feel, it's what you know. in this great silence that has always been a feast for the Lord. The heavens always rejoiced. There has never been tears and sorrow during the celebration of Pesach and every other celebration. This is a celebration where we are freed from sin our sins are cast behind the Lord's back into hell. This is a celebration where the Lord has made and established His new covenant, and based upon this, He has promised to fulfill His part of the covenant to adopt our body with His redemption. And for us, we need one thing, and that is that we worthily take part. 1 Corinthians 11, 23 <clears throat> For I received from the Lord that which I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the same night in which he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, Take, eat, this is my body, which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same manner, he also took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. This do as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death till he comes. 
Therefore, whoever eats this bread or drinks this cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of the body and blood of the Lord. But let a man examine himself and not his neighbor, and so let him eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For he who eats and drinks in an unworthy manner eats and drinks judgment to himself, not discerning the Lord's body. For this reason, many are weak and sick among you, and many sleep. For if we would judge ourselves, we would not be judged. But when we are judged, we are chastened by the Lord, that we may not be condemned with the world. And so to participate is in this communion can, is something that a person can do if he has been baptized and confirmed his covenant with God. The exception is the children. <clears throat> theirs is the kingdom of heaven, and we need to be as children if we are to take part. <clears throat> and that there not be sin on us. I will ask everyone to stand, and we will pray for the bread. <laughs> Heavenly Father, in the name of Jesus Christ, we thank you for the broken body as this bread when it will be uh, passing by your people and they will take and eat of it. May your favor the favor of your face be upon these people. May all illness and weakness be cursed in our bodies, and may they be magnified according to your will. Thank you for this bread, and we worship before you our great God, Son, our God, Father, and Son, Holy Spirit. Amen. Thank you, that row that is approached, please stand. And he said, take, eat, this is my body that is broken for you. Each one will break his own bread because this is a sign that we have humbled ourselves before God and a sign that our sins broke the body of Christ and our sins were the nails that nailed him to the cross, that we were participants of his crucifixion because he died for his own. He did not die for the whole world as a whole, but the world of his people, those he called his own, for them he came. First, often as you eat this bread and you drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death till he comes. First, often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death till he comes. Every Passover feast was accompanied by a great meal. And 
during this meal, there were always specific songs that were sung, psalms that were selected and appointed by King David. One of the psalms that was sung was the first psalm of David. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor stands in the path of sinners, nor sits in the seat of the scornful. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law he meditates day and night. He shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water that brings forth its fruit in its season, whose leaf also shall not wither, and whatever he does, shall prosper. The ungodly are not so, but are like the chaff which the wind drives away. Therefore the ungodly shall not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the ungodly shall perish. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death till he comes. This is a great celebration, a mystery. When they took part, the father needed to explain what they sung about and why one seat was always left open. Who are we waiting for? The table was occupied, but at, at every table uh, of, of the family, there was one seat. This was for Prophet Elijah. They believed that Prophet Elijah needed to come before Messiah comes to prepare a way for the Messiah. And remembering, they always had this seat available. And when Elijah, Prophet Elijah came, they beheaded him. He came as John the Baptist, and they didn't know him. They didn't recognize him, and they killed him by beheading him. And when Jesus came, the one they preached, they crucified him, not looking at the fact that he healed them, thousands, by the thousands he healed them. Uh, he rose, uh, raised many from the dead, healed them from leprosy, being uh, inspired by the Pharisees, Sadducees, and priests that convinced the people to shout, crucify him, he's a heretic. The nation began to shout, crucify him. Only a small group of women continued to be faithful. Only a couple of women followed Jesus. And he turned to them and said, Women, do not mourn for me, but mourn about yourselves and your children. Because he was going to be victorious. When in churches they tried to bring forth tears in the people, how Jesus suffered, he didn't want this, because when they do this, it's not possible for a person to uh, really comprehend the, the, the pain that was, that was inflicted upon him. He wanted to understand the gift he gave us so that we rejoice. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death till he comes. I will ask everyone to stand and we will pray for the cup.
Небесный Отец, во имя Иисуса Христа. Heavenly Father, in the name of Jesus Christ, we thank you for the cup of the new covenant poured out for the forgiveness of sins when it will be passing by your people and we will worship and take part and drink of it. May it be a blessing of yours and may the life of your Son may it enter our bodies and may they be healed in the name of your Son, Jesus Christ. We thank you for this cup of the covenant where our sins are released and thrown into hell and we worship before you, our great God, Son and Holy Spirit. Amen. Please be seated as you assisted and helped one another in taking of the bread. Please assist one another in taking of the cup. First often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death till he comes. Исайя 53. You has believed our report, and to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? This is what Apostle Paul wrote about. Not all have believed our report. For he shall grow up before him as a tender plant, and as a root out of dry ground, he had no form or comeliness. And when, he, and when we saw him, there was no beauty that we should desire him. He did not have in himself that royal appearance that kings had. The kings on their faces, they had that royal authority. It shined upon their faces. Jesus did not want to present himself this way so that they'd be afraid to approach him because if the royal glory of God would have been upon his face, you would not have been able to approach him. When the disciples were upon the Mount of Transfiguration and when Jesus was transfigured and his uh, clothes became as white as the light. The disciples, because they were afraid, fell on their faces and lost their un, uh, ability to think in that moment. How would he be able to then heal the poor and the sick? How would they have been, he, he would have been able to forgive the woman that uh, had been brought by the priests who was in sin, the one that he said, which of you is without sin may cast the first stone. And they all, being corrected by their conscience uh, for the sins they've committed, all left, and only he and the woman remained. And he asked, woman, is there no one here to condemn you? No one, sir, she said. Go, and I, I don't condemn you either. Go, and do not sin again. Of course, she did not see this greatness in his face at the moment because if they did, he would not have been able to save us. So the anointed of God, they 
would not have a specific appearance that would attract them. If they did, it would have been difficult to approach them. There are uh, so-called little kings that sit in the churches, and it's hard to approach them. They put a lot on their on themselves that they're so important and have position and. I see when a person begins to preach this kind of this kind of individual, and it's not easy to approach this person. And so Jesus said that we be in His likeness. First, often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death till He comes. If there's anyone that may have been accidentally passed by, please stand. If not, I will ask everyone to stand, and we will proclaim our unchanging manifestation. Now to Him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you faultless before the presence of His glory with exceeding joy to God our Savior, who alone is wise be glory and majesty, dominion and power, both now and forever. Amen.